I want to see what that dad bot can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. It's football and other F words. Award winning football and other F words. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me do that again. The award winning football and other F words with your host, Michael Gillum, Zach Lyons. We've got a wild motherfucker up in our chat still here. Look at him. He just, he just came up in our zoom. It's Michael Herndon. Mike Miracles. How are you? Listen, I, I, I think I got lost. I'm on my way to uh, a um, AARP meeting um, <laughs> and I clicked on the wrong link, I guess. Um, so I guess I'll just talk to you fuckers instead. Have you gotten a Buick in the mail? Yes, I did. They mailed me out my uh, comp- complimentary Bu- Buick LeSabre and um, uh, it's lovely. Uh, you know, pulls to the right a little bit, but you know, not, not too bad. How is the Jitterbug phone? Uh, it's wonderful. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm tired of you all trying to text me on it because I don't do these uh, newfangled texts anymore. Um, but let me let me say that I'm really kind of pissed off that that as soon as I leave the fucking podcast, it starts winning these fucking awards. What what is that? What we is that? Have, we've just taken off without you. <laughs> yeah, you were, you were the dead weight all along. And here I am back to drag you back down. Kiss those awards goodbye. <laughs> Mike, you had a good run. They're going to come Mike, take them, we, repossess the awards. <laughs> well, we had a glorious weekend of football as a Titans fan. I mean, no, that's what everyone's tuning in to listen to is just what a just a remarkable game in Pittsburgh, which is why I've got to start with the New York Giants and their free fucking soda. So if you don't know what this story is, and the reason why I'm getting to this first is because we're about to have some angry and depressing conversation about the Titans for the next 45 to 50 minutes. So I got to start with this. The New York Giants decided to tweet out before uh, week 15 that for Fan Appreciation Day, they were going to give every season ticket holder a free medium soda of their choice, and they had to redeem some coupon to do it. Well, Soda Day has come and gone, and it turns out that it's not a free soda per ticket holder. This is from SI.com today. The promotion was already a debacle when it came to social media reaction over the weekend, but the backlash somehow got worse on Sunday. That's because fans at the game who wanted their free drink, they were told that the offer was only for one soda per PSL. Meaning if you were a season ticket holder and you had a ticket for yourself and a ticket for your significant other, you would be entitled to one medium soda. If you were a season ticket holder and you had four tickets, one for each member of your family, you would be told that you still just get one medium soda. I love the New York Giants. I can't get enough of this. This is the dumbest fucking promotion since, who was it, Dave, and I'm going to blank on his name, who who was the AD for Michigan, decided to give out two free 20-ounce sodas with Michigan tickets back in the mid-2000s because they were so damn bad. It is wild that they, out of, the, the the team sucks, right? You're having to go watch Mike Glennon play quarterback, and <laughs> this is what they do to them. Only in New York. Yeah, this this is uh, it's comical that they're they're really drawing a hard line on these sodas. Would hate to give away too many sodas. They might not be able to pay for, for another. Uh, what's the wide receiver that they signed that's done nothing for them? Uh, oh, Kenny Galladay. All the Titans fans wanted. Yeah, Kenny Galladay. Uh, they might not be able to afford another Kenny Galladay and a Dory Jackson if uh, if they didn't if they gave away too many sodas. That, that, that would be uh, very very bad if they couldn't sign sparkling players to watch in that you know cat infested stadium. And I'd done the math. I've since lost the little sheet I was writing it down on. But at the price that soda is for fountains, and I was going off like Giants or MetLife holds like eighty thousand fans. It was something like a $20,000 promotion if every single fan got a free soda. I mean, 20 grand out of the, the pockets of an NFL owner is absolutely nothing. But now that you're down to just PSA, I mean, literally, we're talking about something that was probably less than 10 grand for this promotion because the cups they were handing out for it weren't even like team souvenir cups. It was those thin paper, like that 
RV design. I don't even know what to call it. It's like the Dixie cup with the 90 swirls all over it. That's literally the cups they were giving people for this free soda event. The Giants and the Moros can suck it. I, the Moros might be the worst owners in the league. They're they're definitely up there. Uh, I I have a hard time off the top of my head thinking of a worse owner. Maybe Shad Khan. Oh, uh, definitely Shad Khan. It would have to be the worst, right? <laughs> I mean, obviously they're the worst. Shots. Oh no! Wait a minute. Wait, we're forgetting McNair. The oh. McNairs. Oh yes, God, yeah. How can I forget about Tommy? Two right in our own uh, division, right there. <laughs> we may get to Urban Meyer later. I, I had this whole eulogy wrote for him, and I'm just—I just don't want to talk about that motherfucker anymore. So just remind me at the end of the podcast so I can <laughs> tell him to go f himself for one final time. Um, okay, so um, I tweeted out that I quit watching the Titans game at like two forty-eight. And I stand by that. I didn't watch the end of the game. I watched a couple of highlights on Sunday night. I actually stopped watching NFL football on Sunday because that loss pissed me off so bad. And and I knew it. The mo- I'm not trying to be Nostradamus here, but I knew it the moment that Ferkser fumbled that damn football that this was it. This was the turnovers were about to begin and this tide was about to shift. And I really hate that I was correct on that because I wanted to be the guy who was overreacting and for people to point out to me on Twitter, Bro, you didn't stick around for the game. They ended up winning or whatever it was. I, I We have a lot to unpack here. Um, and, and I want to start with some of the obvious ones that we're going to get out of the way first. And I will start with you, Mike, because you got into it with fans today about everything ranging from Mariota to get rid of Tannehill, blah, blah, blah. So let's start with Tannehill. Is he a broken quarterback? Do the Titans need to get rid of Tannehill? Are fans overreacting? Is he being made to look worse than he actually is? What, what's your thoughts? <laughs> my favorite my favorite topic is Mariota and Tannehill, and I'm uh, very happy that I'm being able to talk about both of them uh, in week, what, what are we in, 16 or whatever now? of 15. Uh, 15. This, this NFL season, Mariota hasn't been relevant in three full years now, <laughs> um, but his name still gets to get dragged up every time Tannehill you know, has a hiccup. So, I think Tannehill is being put in a a tremendously bad spot. Um, He is currently, you know, now that Julio Jones is injured again, uh, dealing with Nick Westbrook-Akina, Cody Hollister, and Chester Rogers. And and Racy McMath were his wide receivers on Sunday. And and it's not like he has a great tight end either. Like, there's other, you know, teams around the league that have terrible wide receiver situations. The Lions jump out where they've got – Titan scraps, uh, Khalif Raymond and Josh Reynolds playing wide receiver, which frankly, those two are better than pretty much all the receivers the Titans are using, but they at least have TJ Hawkinson, right? They at least have a tight end who makes up for a little bit of that lack of punt from the wide And, and to be honest, TJ Hawkinson has been out for most of the year. I mean, yeah, right, he's yeah. been in and out of the lineup uh, all year. Yeah, and he's, he's been in and out, but they at least have stuff, right? Yeah. The Titans have nothing right now. I mean, spurcher has been terrible. Um, I don't know what happened to that guy, like whether they tried to put on some, have him put on some weight so that he could block and he figured out that he can now neither block nor, uh, run routes and get open. And, and for some reason can't hold on to the football anymore. Maybe his fans, his hands just got a little too meaty. Um, but <laughs> too sausagey. <laughs> he old sausage fingers perks are, um, but it's, uh, it's a problem. Like none, as we've talked about none of the receivers get separation um you know as they're waiting for aj brown to come back uh the offensive line can't pass block long enough for them to get off any sort of shots down the field i mean they tried and Tannehill either gets sacked or throws a perfect ball to this nick westbrook akina who you know takes the time to drop it um when he's behind the defense and wide open for the first time all year that's when he decides to drop a pass um but it's just I don't know what you want Tannehill to do, right? And we saw it last night with uh, Brady. Brady has, uh, you know, Godwin go down, Evans go down. He's playing with guys like Scotty Miller. But at least, again, at least Brady still had Gronk. He still had, you know, O.J. Howard's not very good, but O.J. Howard's better than the Titans tight ends. Uh, He at least still had those guys out there. And he puts up zero points against the Saints. So I think it's – if you – think Tannehill sucks because he did not overcome having a arena league level wide receiver core playing around him 
in a in a pass blocking offensive line that is absolutely dreadful, you know, you're holding him to an impossible standard, is what it is. Now, I I think we should say that like Ten Hill's probably not an elite quarterback. I think that's probably very fair to say he's not a Herbert, he's not a Mahomes, but even those guys struggle when they don't have all their guns. I mean, it it's no nobody is playing in a vacuum. Uh, they're all dealing with some sort of context. And to just say, well, I don't care who's out there, Tannehill should be better. You're you're missing a lot of the context. I don't understand how people can equate this situation to anything outside of Marcus's 2015 season. This is probably, those are probably two comparable seasons and Marcus was not that good in, in 2015. And I don't understand how people can look at this team and, and expect anything. I, it, I think that situational, situationally, the offensive coordinator can more often than not will shit the bed when it matters the the Titans offensive line, their bottom three in pass blocking. <laughs> I mean, and on top of that, a tweet just got posted by Ben Baldwin, who EPA quarterback EPA per play, so expected points added per play. Tannehill, because of his pass catchers, adjusted for drops, has the highest yards lost due to drops in the league. So it's not just turnovers. It's not just that the pass catchers can't get any separations. It's not just that the um, offensive line can't block. It's not just offensive coordinator. It's there is so much wrong. And on top of that, you're talking about yards lost and drops. It's like even if he does hit them in the hands, they're probably going to drop it at this point. Like you can't even expect these receivers to do their fucking job half the time. It's basically a, a master class and disaster from pre-snap all the way to the end of a play on almost every pass play that he drops back for. It's, you just have to expect something to go wrong. I don't understand now the lack of play action now that the running game is working. Like he said earlier a few weeks ago, he said, well, our run game doesn't work, so play action is not going to work, which is a totally false sense of for, – for a guy who started in analytics – I, I, he is not very good at it. So not only does play action almost work in some form or fashion, he he said, well, the run game, you know, no run game means we can't run it. Okay, whatever. Now we the Titans have a run game, and now he's still not running it unless he's up against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, at some point, someone other than Ryan Tannehill has to come out here and do their job. And right now, Ryan Tannehill – and depending on the play, uh, Taylor Lewan and Ben Jones are the only three guys doing their job consistently every week. And unfortunately, Tannehill can't carry 10 other fucking people. Yeah. And, and, and he, here's the thing, too. And I just I, and I think this the Titans entire problem offensively boils down to this. Your offensive line can't pass protect long enough to get off deep shots. And your wide receivers can't create after the catch. Um, and neither can your backs for the most part. Deontay Foreman played really well, I thought. But even so, he's not like the most elusive guy. He's good at kind of hitting the hole, getting it up in there, pushing the pile. I, I thought he ran well for the most part, but he's not going to make a ton of people miss. So you don't, have, you don't have any way to create explosive plays in this offense as it currently stands. Um, and because your wide receivers don't create a ton of separation, all Tannehill is all Tannehill has available to him are short throws into tight windows to players who cannot create for themselves after the catch. So they're going to have to chunk the ball down the field in like five to seven yard increments at best case scenario. Um, and it's just really hard to string together a bunch of plays like that in a row without having some sort of major loss, like a sack or, a tackle for loss that sets you back. And then you're kind of screwed because you just don't have like that ability to attack downfield with these weapons. So it, they're kind of boxed in right now. I, I don't see, you know, AJ Brown's return would be a huge deal um, for helping them get out of the box that they're currently in, but they also have at some point, the, this offensive line is going to have to block better um, in the passing game. They're doing a great job in the run game. 
So I don't understand why the pass, and I know pass protection is different, right? But it is so stark how good they are at run blocking and how bad they are at pass protecting that it's just kind of crazy to see. Um, but they've got to figure out how to hold up a little bit because right now it's just Tannehill's thrown into tight windows with zero time and half the time he's getting blasted in the face as soon as he lets it go. So, I mean, it's they're, it's just everything's constricted. No, nothing. There's no openness. There's no threat that the defense has to be afraid of or worried about. It's just they're in a box, and I don't, I don't know how they get out of it uh, with the current personnel. Yeah, and I want to look at the simplistic picture with a simplistic Titans fan that is arguing you got to get rid of Tannehill this year, next year, whatever it is, right? Let's let's start with the basics. Tannehill has a history with the Tennessee Titans of being able to produce and overproduce. So spare me the argument that, you know, oh, you all never gave Mariota the time and that we kept hearing that he's had enough time, blah, blah. Mariota, also, we had plenty of evidence on paper, including Mike, as you pointed out today, evidence of a season with both Mariota and Tannehill using the same weapons of the vast difference that's there. But I, I'll set that aside even further. If you want to try to go back and look at revisionist history of Titans didn't give Mariota enough time, or this is evidence that they should have gone after Tom Brady. A, it's a waste of your time to even talk about that because wishing about, you know, history to change. It's just, it's a farcical argument, but also Tom Brady provided you evidence just a few hours after the Titans debacle against the Steelers that, Oh, by the way, being surrounded by non-weapon performance on a team and playing against a, a, a pretty bad Saints team. The defense is good, but Brady was 26 for 48, 214 yards and one interception. It's about 40 more yards than Tannehill put up. And with the, a much better offensive blank. line, by the way. So like, yeah. I don't even know if Mike mentioned that when he was going through everything, the Titans off or the Buccaneers offensive line is 100 times better than the current form of the Titans offensive line. And, and he still got, couldn't get it done. The Bucs got blanked. They got blanked by a team that is fielding a quarterback in the Saints with Taysom Hill that literally cannot throw the ball. He cannot throw the ball. So Could y'all imagine if Brady was here this year? Because not only last year, so let's say they signed Brady. And right. same set of circumstances. Brady, this defense was not good enough to carry Brady into the Super Bowl last year. So they wouldn't have made it to the Super Bowl last year. So they improve the defense, do everything right. They even get Julio Jones in here and all this stuff, okay? Could you imagine if the, if Tom Brady had played the last seven or so games and under the same circumstances that Ryan Tannehill has, this team would have a losing record. No doubt in my mind, they wouldn't have had that big run, uh, that big stretch run. No doubt in my mind that if he had to face the same adversity, the same situation as Ryan Tannehill, that yet again, he would not live up to any kind of standards that everybody expects him to. He would have thrown $20,000 of the Microsoft service tablets into the crowd by now just from watching Ferkser fumble his fucking passes and watching Nick, Nick Westbrook-Akini get open and dropping a pass that hits him right in the hands, guaranteed. Now, and we're not even factoring in how many times Brady wouldn't get smashed all over the ground by this O-line. So, look, I'll end it up with this. For those that are still convinced that Tannehill's got to go, as a Titans fan, are you that anxious to get back into the search for a quarterback game? As NFL fans... And I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you've watched NFL for at least a few years. You know how I don't terrible. Know. Well, I yeah, don't, tell me I about don't it. Know. I, I swear to God, some of these Titans fans <laughs> are literally creating an account as they discover the Titans on game day. But I, it's like, oh, I'm going to name myself Cody with pie to 26 digits after it and start arguing with Michael. But um, I, so I'll end up saying this: like, do you really want to get in the in the quarterback searching game? Searching for a quarterback as an NFL franchise is the most exhausting fucking thing you can watch a team do, hands down, unless you're the Detroit Lions and you just fail at everything. But I, it's it's awful to watch, and you don't want to go back through it. I'm not interested in getting back in the quarterback market. The 2022 draft class for quarterbacks is not that great. I would rather stick with Tannehill, despite whatever it, what everybody else is saying, because He's provided evidence that he can succeed, and he's got so many extenuating factors around him of why the rest of the team, the rest of the offense is contributing to his suck level. 
Yeah, it, it's I, I don't understand what people expect this team to do with Ryan Tannehill, though. OK, so let's say yeah. that they that move him to wide receiver. Move, yeah. Where do you want to move him? <laughs> where Where is he going to go? What team is going to come in and say, well, I'll trade you Aaron Rodgers for Ryan Tannehill or I'll trade you Russell Wilson for Ryan Tannehill. And let me say something. Russell Wilson ain't going to do any better. We we've seen Russell Wilson enough of Russell Wilson over the last year and a half to, to know. I, I think I'd rather have Ryan Tannehill. I, I think we've seen enough over the last two years to be able to have faith that Ryan Tannehill can get it done when the team is good. Or <laughs> I mean, like I, I Tyson Bralo at this point, I wish he hadn't quit football or whatever happened there. And, I, I wish that the Titans would have probably stuck around and kept Josh Reynolds and worked out whatever situation there decided not to work. I don't know if it's just an attitude problem and things didn't mesh, but how do you go to, to Detroit and suddenly your attitude problems are erased? Like, I don't know what went there, but he's doing better. I, I just wish that this team, I wish this team had playmakers and this team doesn't. And when a team lacks all these playmakers, the fact that the Titans have remained competitive and really they've beaten themselves is a testament to what this offense or this team is, can do when it gets healthy. And it's, I get it, you know, staying healthy, getting healthy and then staying healthy seems to be the bugaboo of the Tennessee Titans this year. And you may not want to bet on it, but this team, the Patriots game and the and this last game against the Steelers and even the Texans game, those games, they beat themselves. I mean, turnovers cost, cost them. Now, Ryan Tannehill and the Texans game was the main proponent of those turnovers. But these last two games, man, it's really on these running backs and these pass catchers. I mean, the weird Racy McMath fumble, the weird fumble, and the fumbles by Ferkser. Then you have the two running back fumbles, you know, in the previous game. It's just, it's crazy how much bad luck this team has generated for whatever reason, because I don't really feel like they've ever had good luck. Why is karma attacking this team? They've never had good luck. Nothing has ever gone in their favor. The the fumble stuff is particularly weird. And and let's say that for, with despite all the injury stuff that we just talked about, and, and yeah, the offense is, is definitely struggling independent of the turnovers for the reasons that I think we just talked about. But even with that, I feel like the Titans probably win at least the Texans and Steelers games, if not maybe even the Patriots game, if they don't turn the ball over. Uh, what What is it, 13 times in those three games yeah. combined? Um, which is insane. It, that is an insane number. And that's not counting the fourth down failed conversions, which I think there's been three or four of those. Uh, in that same time frame. So the, as far as like drives ending in a turnover, it, that's 17 drives out of three games that, that effectively ended in turnovers for them. So, you know, the turnovers are the main driver. And that, that's the only reason they lost this game. The defense played well enough that the Titans could have won with 13 points, no problem. Like, yeah. not a problem at all. If the offense was not constantly giving the Steelers the ball, literally in field goal range. I mean, half those drives where the Steelers actually scored, they didn't move the ball hardly at all. I mean, they just basically ran three plays and then kicked a field goal. Um, you know, I think, let's see what their scoring drive lengths were. Um, let's see, hang on. I'm, I'm, uh, I've got it right here. No, I don't. Never mind. All right. Anyways. Um, it's uh, I'm I'm rusty, all right. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, come on, damn it. The point is, the defense played well enough to win. The defense played well enough to win against Houston too, right? I mean, without the turnovers and giving the ball them the ball on the five yard line, Mister Rogers, um, that the that team probably wins that game. So you could be looking at a team that is twelve and three, um, and in basically firm control of the one seed in the AFC if they would just not put the ball on the fucking ground you know four or five times in a game I mean that that is the shit that just cannot happen when you are struggling to move the ball like you can't be both not scoring a ton of points and giving it away a ton of turnovers like one or the other like this could be a ball control team that grinds out 20 points in a game and plays great defense and wins football games. They are capable of doing that because this defense is so fucking good right now. Um, they could do that. 
they just can't do it with the the penalties. Or that's the, how it uh, looked like it was going to be this game, and then all of a sudden, yeah. the the penalty. I I think for me, the turning point of the game was that that drive that the Steelers scored, where they got three insane penalties in their favor called. And I don't, and all three, I think were really bad. I, I think the only one, the only penalty I saw yesterday that the, that some people are saying shouldn't have been, but I thought was, was the rough in the passer penalty was it a little ticky tacky. Yeah. But by the nature of the rule, it is what yeah. it is. But this other stuff, the, the pass interference call, the other calls that they had, I just thought they were so ticky tacky. And to me, once that happened, that that was like it was game over because you know the Titans would have kept them from scoring and they would have gone back to hopefully running the ball ball control because they were doing what they wanted to do the first half they imposed their will they were playing just clean football good defense football and they were running the ball well and for whatever reason that just kept they kept getting away from it when they got away from it two fumbles right there you know <laughs> Racy McMath and Anthony Ferkser you know you go down the field the Game is in hand, in in my opinion. They were driving down the field in that two-minute warning, the two-minute drive in the fourth quarter. And for whatever reason, Todd Downing's like, oh, I better pass it here, second and six, even though I have plenty of time, two timeouts. I better pass it for whatever freaking reason. And they lose 10 yards on the play. And so then that turns into a, a, a really – that turns it to a point where you have to throw it right. And for whatever reason, why is this, why is it a constant problem with wide receivers running routes short of the stick? It's either they're, they're, they're just really, really bad at their job or the Titans are drawing up plays that are short of the sticks or the Titans are not, doing a great job of coaching these receivers of what to do in these situations to the, so I don't know where the blame goes. It's probably all across the board at this point, because it's something you, it's systemic of this team's DNA for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't go ahead, Mike. I I think, I think part of the throwing it short of the six sticks thing is definitely, I mean, fourth and seven, obviously the defense is squatting on the sticks. I mean, they're going to defend that line. Um, and so you either basically have to throw it short or try to go over the top, um, which is, you know, obviously a little bit more of a low percentage throw at that point. Um, so I think that's part of it. You're hoping your guy can break a tackle or at least, I mean, Nick Westbrook, you know, was so close on that. If, if he doesn't get his arms tied down by the tackle, which is a great tackle by, I think it was Joe Hayden. Yeah, it was Joe Hayden. Um, is a really good play by him to get him down to where he could not even stretch the ball out. Cause even if he could have reached the ball out, he had it. Um, it was that close, but, uh, and frankly, I think if he got it, they probably win the game. Um, cause they would have been first and in goal inside the what seven, uh, or nine yard line. It was somewhere around yeah. like the nine, I think, um, I think they would have won the game. And, and I, I thought they were going to win when they got down. When when Foreman converted that first down uh, on fourth down before, I was like, I, that's going to be the play. They're going to end up winning this. Um, and then I do think the sack, uh, questionable play call for sure to get out of the rhythm of just running the ball because they were, you know, really running the ball well again. Uh, but I think the reason they did it was because that was the, the play that Watt came out of the game. And they thought, all right, no Watt. We should be able to get time to throw. Let's take a shot to, to get the ball maybe into the end zone here or at least get down close to where we can start running again, not have to worry about the clock. Because they were getting – they were under a minute um, when that play happened. So that was – it was starting to get tight on time. But um, the fact of the matter is David Questenberry was awful, and he got beat by uh, – was it uh, Derek Tuska, uh, the – um, like seventh round edge rusher from North Dakota state or some shit like that, um, that I actually kind of liked in the draft, but that's beside the point. Well, um, he gets and- beat bad and gives up the sack. Um, it's just, it's a nightmare situation with this pass pass blocking. It is just so bad. Like the fact that you can't drop back and get, Decent enough pass protection against Derek Tuska is a huge fucking problem. And and that's where I want to go next with this is that 
you know, and again, I like the way you phrased it in your tweet earlier today, the offensive problems revolving around the O-line can't pass protect long enough, take shots downfield, lack the skill players to create explosive plays on after the catch leaves the run game in a tight window of short throws. That's your entire offense focusing on the O-line and a point that Zach made earlier today, which was at this point, why is Questenberry still in? And, and why, why not? How much worse could Raidens and Lamb really be? And, and that's kind of where I want to open this up. And I'll start with Zach on that one. I, I just don't understand. Like Questenberry is, has got enough film on field now to show that he's just not getting it done. It's a nice story, but it's not happening on the field. It's almost he's doing what we thought may have happened, may happen to Dennis Kelly last year. We weren't sure if Dennis Kelly was going to be able to sustain success over a 16-game season. What we're seeing is David Questenberry, who started off really, really well, is not maintaining success over a 17-game season. It's it's not good. It's not getting better. It's actually actively getting worse. <laughs> Kendall Lamb was brought in. They cut Dennis Kelly, and Kendall Lamb was brought in to be the Dennis Kelly replacement. And Kendall Lamb was supposed to be what we all thought was going to be right tackle. And he, I, we all thought that he was going to fill in, and then they draft Dylan Radins. So, obviously, maybe Dylan Radins was going to overtake him. I don't understand. It, it, it may not be the maybe like a marginal improvement, right? We're talking like, okay, instead of giving up eight total pressures, maybe Kendall Lamb only gives up six or, or five, but you don't know when those six or five pressures are going to be. Maybe he gets a little bit, the, these plays that he may have been able to stop Tuscar, Skipper, or whatever that guy, Derek Tuscar's, whoever that guy is. He may have been able to stop him, right? That may have not resulted in an eight-yard sack. But we don't know because this team, I guess, values Questenberry's work ethic and practice more than anything. The, the, what happens in practice does not translate onto the field. You see it all the time. You, you see it with Des Fitzpatrick. You saw it with, you know, all these players that they have put their weight behind, and they end up being nothing. They end up being just practice heroes, and that's what Questenberry is at this point. Questenberry is a fill-in. He's not a starting right tackle. He's your swing tackle. I think at this point you should go with Kendall Lamb to see what he is. The last game of the year, even if it's the last game of the year, and it's versus the Texans, or you're going up against Miami, you got to see what Kendall Lamb is because you're about to head into the playoffs. I, I, I think Questenberry is a liability, and everybody in America knows it except for possibly members of his family and Corey Rogers you know, 2014-90210. Members of his family, they're going to pull Quest aside and Quest is be like, listen, I love you, but you got to know why we didn't get you a lot of Christmas gifts this year. Frankly, you fucking suck. We know yeah. it. And you're lying to people at practice. So uh, Merry Christmas. I mean, obviously, they, they all suck, right? Obviously, David Westenberry <laughs> sucks, Kendall Lamb sucks, and Dylan Raiden sucks. But there could be different better levels of suckiness to Kendall Lamb and Dylan Raidens. And that's where I stand on it. Yeah, I'd, I would be interested at least to see it at this point because, yeah, I don't know that it gets like a lot worse than eight pressures, which is what Questenberry gave up in this game. And I know TJ Watts, really hard assignment. Um, they were giving him a lot of help. And, you know, obviously, as we saw with Ferks are kind of pushing Watt into Tannehill, the, the help doesn't always actually help. Uh, because our tight ends suck so bad. Um, but it's uh, eight pressures is not good. That, that's that's just a disaster. And that's that's letting Watt totally dominate a game. Like, that's the one thing you can't do. Like, you, Watt's going to get his to some degree, but you can't let him just take over a game. And that's what he let him do, in, especially in the second half. Um, anytime the Titans tried to draw back to pass, it was just immediately leaks coming from all over the place. I, here's a tweet that, that Zach put in. I don't remember if Zach tweeted this or where I got this. Maybe it was in group chat, but it's essentially that this tight ends group going into the season is this is what the Titans presented to you as these are your starters. Like this is okay. The wide receivers were frustrated with this wide receiver core because they were never supposed to be the starting lineup for the majority of the season. So while I, 
actively remain pissed off at them. It's harder to sustain that anger because you know that we're supposed to be able to feel this much. But these fucking tight ends are what we went into the season as the Titans said, here they are. Johnny Smith isn't here. Yeah, we're going to miss the blocking with him. But we got Ferk. We got Swain. We're ready to roll. Why keep putting Ferks around the field? Like, surely to God, you got to be thinking on that plane ride home, the coaches are looking around at each other and going, that's it with Ferk. Can't rely on him. He's got to come out. You know that Vrabel was probably looking at that emergency door hatch thinking, <laughs> yeah, we may need to sit Ferkser just right there. Let's just sit him right there at the emergency <laughs> exit. He just calmly reaches down on his lap, unbuckles that flap seat belt, and reaches across real quick and rips that handle. <laughs> Vrabel gets the COVID list report and sees Ferkser's name not on it. He's like, damn it. I'm going to have to bribe oh, these. jaws open. Yeah, I'm going to have to bribe these, uh, these test uh, givers. Yeah, now, now, well, now that they've got molding on the uh, you know COVID list, they could just have him breathe repeatedly into Ferkser's mouth. This week, so. I, I uh, don't understand the infatuation with, yeah. with Anthony Ferkser. I think Michael Pruitt is is better. I, listen, none of these guys are good. It's kind of it's no. kind of like the three headed right tackle monster. None of these tight ends are good. I, I'm sorry, they're just not. And and we all agreed with that. But I told everybody that this team seems very confident in these three. Their confidence was misplaced, obviously. And this is a, a much like right tackle. This tight end position is a um, they're being hoisted. The John Robinson is being hoisted up on his own petard at this point, right? I mean, like he's he's directly responsible for the people they've drafted and signed at both of these positions or the lack thereof. And he thought that they could get away with starting undrafted free agent, David Questberry and three undrafted free agent tight ends. That's just not going to work in the NFL. And it's showing. I, I, um, I, I, I carefully broach this next subject because as much as I don't like overreaction by fans, I kind of feel like it's almost time to start to overreact about Julio Jones. Um, and I can't find it. I was trying to look it up while we have it here, but the Tennessean put out a tweet today. that was a quote from Brable that was essentially uh, what's the status of Julio. And it was kind of like a day-to-day -day thing. We're going to see how he can help us going forward. The, the way that comment sounded did not sound glowing as like, Oh yeah. I mean, he's still obviously a big portion of this offense that we're going to rely on. It almost sounded like, Man, if he can get us a couple of good, you know, receptions, maybe a TD in the playoffs, that's just grand. I, wh where are we with Julio? And is it easy? Easy. That's a fucking terrible thing to say. Is it? <laughs> is it safe to say that this is Julio a bust on the Titans? He's got a long way to go to prove prove that. But get rid of that bust label. Yeah, I mean, right. What What are your thoughts, Mike? I think he's 100% a bust right now. I mean, it, and it, I think he can still play, which is kind of the weird thing. Like, when he's healthy, I think he can still play. But he, we just – we've barely seen him healthy. And, and it's, you know, the hamstring again. And it's to the point where, I mean, he's obviously got some sort of chronic hamstring issue. And I know, you know, it's possible to have, like, you know – issues with your hamstring to the point where like it just is never gonna fully heal um and i think we may be there with julio and it's unfortunate because i mean the they restructured his contract before the season um and you know if they cut him after the year they'll save a million bucks against the cap but that's it i mean they're gonna leave behind a 13 million dollar dead cap hit uh if they cut him so it's it's a lot of money to spend for him not to play um, but you're spending a lot of money for him not to play right now, I guess. So, I mean, it's, it's just kind of, um, a terrible situation and it's unfortunate because I think in theory, what this offense was going into the year and, and we all talked about it. And I, I think everyone understood what John Robinson's vision was, was that you got AJ Brown, you've got Julio Jones, you've got Derrick Henry, who cares who our tight ends are, uh, who cares who the wide receiver three is, you know, those guys are going to carry the mail for us. And, you know, the other guys that we stick around them will be role player complimentary pieces that are going to see two or three targets a game, maybe at tops. Um, so we've never seen that, that really like 
together for more than what, maybe two games in a row. I think the the Cardinals game and the Seahawks game at the very beginning of the year, all three of those guys started and finished that game, those games healthy. And then since then, I don't think we've had all three of them together for any length of time. Um, and, and I posted, uh, you know, a breakdown today mm-hmm. on Twitter of the Titans points per game with their various like combinations of stars that we've seen. And it's not a surprise, right? It, it's not a surprise that when they have those guys, those three guys out there, it's a, a lot more effective offense. Um, and when they don't, it's not And Julio is, is the third most important out of those three, because I mean, well, I, I think Julio's career is obviously untouchable. AJ's a better player right now. Um, Henry's a better player right now uh, when they're healthy. And so getting those two back, I think you can still see this offense get to where it needs to be. But I, I don't know what you can get out of Julio at this point because they gave him a month off to try to get right. They eased him back in. And then he tries to recover that stupid fucking Ferks or fumble, which is, it's just – that play right there, it, how costly was that? I mean, it, it gets the Steelers off the hook, uh, you know, early in the game of just they had nothing going. They had nothing going. And then he fumbles, gets them, you know, at least a, a little bit of footing in the game, and Julio gets hurt. And so now, you know, Julio probably almost certainly missed the Thursday game. Um, you hope maybe he can somehow get back for – Miami, but probably not. I mean, chances are you aren't going to see him to the playoffs at best. Um, and then, you know what, maybe he gives you a game, maybe two. I don't, can he make it through three games in a row? I, I, he, I don't know if he has all year at this point. You're kind of uh, okay. stuck with him. It means just like <clears throat> these people who want to get rid of Tannehill, I've seen a few people say, let's get rid of Julio Jones. Well, you're, you're stuck with them. That's what you traded for. You traded for a guy yeah. with a barely manageable contract with huge cap hits hoping to be something else. You gave up a second round pick and you're, you're stuck with the contract. You're stuck with Julio and you're going to have to make moves with that in mind in the coming years, you know, in the next two years, you mean Julio sure you can cut Julio, but what are you going to get? I I just, what are you going to get? That's better than Julio uh, without, spending more money than so you're going to have 13.2 million in dead cap space on a wide receiver. Then you're going to spend more money on a wide receiver too. It's just a poor, you're we're in a situation where John Robinson allocation of resources is going to be really difficult to manage over the next year and a half. Mike Vrabel on Julio Jones per the Tennessee will evaluate, will evaluate where he is and see how he can help us. I mean, again, I don't know the context behind that. I haven't watched the full press conference today, but that's not a great, that quote does not instill any kind of confidence that Vrabel is looking at the situation and saying, oh yeah, listen, I uh, tweaked during the game, whatever, right? This sounds like a guy who's basically saying, yeah, I mean, you know, if he's there and he can help us great, but you know, we're moving on. You know, I almost wonder if they didn't pull a move like they pulled in the Colts, because at the time that that play happened, the the Titans were playing a game similar to that first game in the Colts where they kept Julio Jones out, right? Because they thought they could win with who they had. And I almost think that maybe that's kind of what happened. I I don't, you know, that's just a little conspiracy theory to throw out there, but it's just at, at some point, these big free agent swings and these trades and these signings, they have to start panning out. That's much like draft picks. Eventually, if enough stuff is not panning out, your team's going to build itself into a hole. It's going to be hard to get out of it. And I think John Robinson can still get, obviously get the team out of it. I mean, look at what he's been able to do this year with the team that he was able to assemble that stayed healthy, but he's got to have to start hitting basically quit listening to the fans and he's probably not, but everybody wanted Jadavian Clowney. Everybody wanted Julio Jones, big bus right there, improving the pass rush through Vic Beasley. Not a lot of people really liked the Vic Beasley signing. It didn't work out, but it's just, it's just, it's just, we're in a terrible spot. Like I really dread the seeing what's going to happen in the off season and being on Twitter and having to record a podcast in the off season. 
It's going to be I, a madhouse. Terrible. And so to kind of sum up, and, and, and we're going to start talking about the 49ers game here shortly, but to kind of sum up, and again, I want to revisit Mike's tweet because I really like, I just like the way you package that up because coming out of this game, I was so frustrated about, there seems to be so many problems with this team. Like, what do you, what really, when you distill it down is the problem. O-line can't pass protect, skill players can't get open. And even when they are getting thrown the ball, have them drop the damn thing. Um, and, and you're relying on your run game. It, to me, what that reminds me of is back in the day when I thought I was, you know, professor badass and had a motorcycle, I took a motorcycle safety training course. And what they first told us was that if you're coming in here, looking to be what they called a sunny 72 rider, you're not going to be pleased because we're going to go over stuff that covers everything outside of that. What that means is that if you're the guy who bought a motorcycle, just because you only want to ride it when it's 72 degrees and sunny outside, in other words, perfect weather, you're going to use your bike about 4% of the year because the rest of the time in middle Tennessee or wherever you live, you're going to have to deal with rain. You have to deal with snow. You have to deal with adverse riding conditions for operating a motorcycle. That's what this offense reminds me of right now is that you're essentially trying to win a game with an offense that's operating correctly about 6% of the time. And the rest of the plays have some sort of fucking calamity happening on them. So I'll throw this to you, Mike. Out of these items, O-line, fumbling, what, what would you fix? How would you fix it? Is it fixable? What, what can you address off the field before you go into a game, especially on a short week leading into the 49ers, of you got to fix this shit and this is what you do? Yeah, I mean, and the funny thing is, you know, I know, and Brable's talked about it in his press conferences, is he is hammering home. We cannot turn the ball over. They've added yeah. extra turnover drills as far as trying, you know, people trying to punch the ball out and, and trying to defend against that. And, and they are trying to address that issue, but it is just not sticking for whatever reason. And, you know, sometimes it's just weird stuff happens. You know, guy punches the ball the right way or, um, you know, guys trying to make a play and just, you know, gets overextended, whatever. But it is, um, that is problem number one, because like, like I said, you know, the injury stuff, it's got to work itself one, work itself out one way or another. Those guys have just got to heal and get healthy and be on the field. Um, and then you can see where that goes. But to me, you've got to stop turning the ball over because this defense is, is good enough to carry you for a little bit. And, and certainly could win you some football games. If you can just take care of the ball and do the minimal, minimal thing, just run the ball do a little bit of play action passing and don't turn it over that that's all you have to do. And you can go win some football games with this defense, the way it's constructed. The offense died. So the defense could live. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Cause you were saying it's the same wild. thing that we basically said last year, except for its defense is that it, man, if this defense was just 20th ranked or better, not even just 32, just gotta be 20th. This team could win, could have won a Super Bowl last year with this offense, and now it's the opposite. This team has a good enough defense to win a Super Bowl with. If this offense could just be, just quit shooting itself in the foot. Like it's it's just wild how the years have a year has swapped all of our thinking on this team. Before we go any further, I, I want to remind everyone, Broadway Sports, us here at F-Words Pod, we're having a, a live watch party, uh, Titans v. 49ers, Thursday night, 6.30 at Bold Patriot Brewing. It's in the L&L market on Charlotte, if you know where that's at. If you don't, the address is 3820 Charlotte Avenue. They got plenty of parking in the back. It's a really nice open tap room, plenty of TVs. They'll be able to host us. Um, they don't have food, by the way. So if you want to eat something, you know, bring something with you. We may have tried to have some pizza there, but no guarantees on that. But again. Broadway, F-Words Pod, we want to see you there. If you're not going to the game, come watch us. Watch it with us. December 23rd, 6.30 p.m. Uh, we'll get you set to watch the 49ers. So speaking of which, <laughs> this is one of the reasons why I turned off the game. Because I was so, I just didn't want to be pissed off the rest of the Sunday. L the Titans losing going into the bye week was like, you know what? I get it. These guys are exhausted. You come as far as you can. You just got, you needed an extra week off. Let's get healthy. But the Titans come back out of the bye week, win against the Jags, and then just deliver this turd on the carpet against the Steelers. How, if you're in the locker room, that's got to be, I've got to think, and I'm using hyperbole here, there's got to be some stink eye across the room about the defensive core is looking at the offense like, I mean, bitch, we had this in hand and y'all keep putting the football on the ground. It, how do you get off the plane 
come into a mindset on Monday morning and try to erase that and move forward with a short week. I mean, these guys are going to be playing in like the next 72 hours. Yeah, I, I don't know. That, that's that's tough. And yeah, I don't, I don't know how the defense couldn't just be looking at the offense right now. And Seriously. Going, guys, we've allowed 43 yards rushing in the last two games combined. And like, <laughs> they've been unbelievably good uh, the last couple games and, and really even going back to, to about midseason um, when they really started to turn it on. And it is it got to be infuriating that they are just shutting teams down and the offense can't get out of its own way. I mean, Houston, um, they did give up a little bit against the Patriots, but, but Houston and Pittsburgh, for sure, the defense played well enough to win those games. I mean, it, three out of the last four games, they've allowed less than 200 total yards of offense. That's insane. Um, and I, yeah, I, I don't know how the defense isn't just, you know, ready to pounce on the offense all week because it's like guys do something um i'd be throwing at eric cleat or something just people go back to her i'd be pitching shit across the room i mean it's gotta be it's gotta be rough and it's gotta be mentally draining to know that you came out of the bye looked you know you looked good against jacksonville shut them out and then you go do this like This Pittsburgh Steelers team is not a good football team, and the Titans had it won, and the Titans offense lost a game. And there are multiple levels of the Titans offense that are to blame. That is is the problem that I have with with this offense, and even just putting a little bit of blame on someone invokes the wrath of about 50,000 replies saying, well, he's not the one calling the fumbles, or, you know, he fumbled it more than – Anthony Ferkser or Ryan Tannehill can elevate this talent around him. It's not, it's not Todd Downing's fault. It's not Ryan Tannehill's fault. It's the offensive line's fault. When you have this many people with varying opinions, it's everybody's fucking fault. I mean, at this point, it is everybody's fault on this offense. It's Ryan Tannehill's fault somewhat. He shares some blame for some losses. You, you got the running backs share some blame. Injuries share blame. The offensive line share blame. Everybody shares blame. And if I am the defense, I am I I I think I'm just giving the, the offense balls and I would be trying to hit knock it out every day. Like that should be like Jugs machine, you know how Taywan Taylor should have been in front of Jugs machines catch learning to catch a ball. These guys should just be standing there being given a ball and having them knock it out or punch him in the face. I don't know, maybe just punch him in the face, maybe that will. I, I like the punching in the face idea. I, I think yeah. I I'd like to punch a few members of the offense in the face. Yeah. If you fumble the ball or get a penalty, you have to come over the sidelines and let, uh, let's say Jeffrey Simmons just get one <laughs> clean hit on your face. We don't need any more injured players, Zach. We can't have Simmons. Do well, it. we'll put a, we'll put a boxing glove on. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to wish physical assault because he's every one of these men, including the kicker, could probably be kill me. But I would like to pay someone to stand outside the Titans facility with a sign that just says "Thanks for fumbling." Yeah. Fuck. Or something, you know, just, I mean, just something aside that just says, Hey, Ferk, sir, you know, hope you didn't fumble today doing something. <laughs> and and you, you're not going to be able to afford to make these mistakes again against San Francisco. Like that's yeah. the thing. I, I'm tired of seeing the same mistakes. I'm tired of seeing the same people make the same mistakes and nobody is being able to, there's no, there's no help among the offense, right? There's nobody there that so far that is able to help one another get out of this funk. And until they get out of this funk and you got a team like San Francisco, who's so they're red hot right now, couldn't have picked a worse time to face San Francisco. And then Elijah Moulton goes to the COVID list, which means that George Kittle's probably going to have a field day unless Dane Crookshank can make <laughs> some Travis Kelsey magic happen. And it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's a tough, if it's tough, it's going to be a tough game to watch. If you, if you, Quit watching the Steelers game, Lebowski. You might as well, you know, take some, bring some weed gummies with you or something and just get high and drunk on Thursday because you're going to need it to forget this mess. That's, I said that in our group chat earlier that I may have picked about the worst game of the year to do a watch party because I'm, you may witness me sitting over by myself cursing incoherently and, drinking i won't make eye contact with people i'm just facing the wall just hearing the broadcast you just occasionally hear me go yeah it's just that sounds about right 
<laughs> oh, and listen to this. So Elijah Mitchell just came out of concussion protocol. So that and now if he plays on Thursday, it all hinges on his knee. So I'm not too terribly afraid of their run offense just because of how good our run defense is played. But if the offense can't eat up some time, if the Titans offense can eat up some time, Kyle Shanahan is going to gas our defense and our def- the Titans defense will not be able to hold up if this offense cannot put together sustaining drives. I don't, at this point, I don't care about explosive plays. I just want the team to not make mistakes and play ball control and keep away from the San Francisco 49ers if A.J. Brown's not back. Just make it easy for Ryan Tannehill and this run and this run offense. Do not go crazy thinking that NWI can run the same routes that AJ Brown can and Chester Rogers is the next Julio Jones. Just does not work out like that. When you're fielding several undrafted free agents on your offense, the best thing you can do is figure out ways to use those players appropriately without shooting yourselves in the foot. It is, it is going to be a really interesting matchup because both teams run the ball really well and both teams stop the run really well. So, yeah, I think the difference is uh, the 49ers, when Jimmy Garoppolo drops back to pass, is throwing to Demo Samuel and uh, Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle. And, you know, Tannehill is going to be throwing to Nick Westbrook Aquina and Cody Hollister. I mean, that's that is basically what it boils down to. Now, Niners coming off short rest. Uh, they played in the afternoon slot and are going to have to travel across the country. I mean, that's a, that's a long flight. Um, I think that is a little bit of an advantage for the Titans. Also the fact that the 49ers are, this is going to be their 10th straight game since their bye week. So as far as rest goes, the Titans should be the fresher team, but the, the 49ers haven't been showing any ill effects. They're hot. Uh, they don't have a ton of injuries right now. Um, at least not to the, their big guns. So um it's going to be a very interesting matchup. And I feel like this is the game where if you win this game, you're, you're in pretty decent shape. You've, you've just got to win one of the final two against, you know, Miami and Houston uh, and, and your division champs, regardless of what Indy does. Uh, if you lose this game, it could start to get kind of hairy um, for the Titans in the division race. Cause if, if you lose this game and Indy beats, Arizona, all of a sudden you are uh, backs up against the wall um, for the last two weeks. So it doesn't help that the majority of your losses come against AFC opponents. Like when tiebreakers come down, if you don't have the head to head or there's the head to heads, even it goes down to common opponents or AFC records or whatever. And then you're screwed. Like it's, it's, it's going to be tough sledding if the Titans don't go out and win this game, which they're capable of doing. They are capable of winning this game. They are absolutely. I mean, the Titans, the Titans don't put the ball on the ground as much as they did. And I think Mike tweeted that out earlier about, I mean, what would the Titans record be if they haven't fumbled, if they had only fumbled like 10 out of the 13 times, Mike, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they, yeah, they'd at least have won two of the last three games that they've lost. I mean, it, it's, they have three of their last four games. They've had minus four or worse turnover differential. That is horrendous. Um, it's just, and it's almost impossible to overcome that, regardless of how well you're playing on either side of the ball. So um, if you keep the turnover battle even, or maybe even win the turnover battle, which would be nice, um, change of pace, uh, you can definitely win this game. I mean, the, the Niners are pretty good, but they're not juggernauts by any means. And and the Titans defense is playing so well that they're going to keep you in the game. So um, we'll see what happens. Mike. Before I let you go, we don't have you on often. And in that time span that you have left and now come back to the podcast has lasted just as long as Urban Meyer did in the NFL. (laughs) We all overshot our bet. I thought he was going to last two seasons. I don't remember what you two said, but I'm pretty sure none of us said fired before the end of season one. 13 games this man lasted. Just an absolute shit show of credit card swiping checks that are not his wife (laughs) and two having your freshman rookie quarterback come and tell you why is our star running back not in the game you name it um mike i got to tell you this quote before before i let you give your final word on urban meyer he gave a pretty long interview to uh ian rapaport the dm rapaport 
NFL. Yeah. Anyways, uh, to where he basically, of course, took no blame for any of it and uh, and basically said that society has changed just too much and that, that the game and people are just too fragile nowadays. Um, what an ass face. Send this man away, Herndon. What are your final thoughts on Urban Meyer? I'm, I don't know that it's possible to even like pick out a favorite Urban Meyer moment because they're all just so good. I, I think the lasting image for me is going to be the handshake with Brable just because it was just such a lifeless, just like he looked, <laughs> he looked, that's the saddest anyone has ever looked on a football <laughs> field before. <laughs> just a defeated man like that. That is, uh, it, it was just like a, a caricature of, of like emotion. Uh, but I, I'll always remember that moment. And I think my second favorite moment maybe was when he was asked about the uh, rookie uh, safety. Um, what is it? Cisco uh, thong song uh, back there. And he, uh, you know, said, he said, well, why isn't he playing more? Well, and urban said, uh, Oh, I think he's been playing more uh, lately. Uh, and he had played zero snaps in that game that they were asking about. <laughs> So um, I think that that kind of stuff is great. And I do hope my, my one true hope for this offseason, because the Jaguars are attempting to fire him for cause and not pay him uh, his contract, I hope all the dirty laundry comes out on this whole shebang in Jacksonville. And we just get all these lawyer snipes back and forth all offseason. That's all I want is him to embroil this team in further controversy for another year so I can coast off of the fumes of what has been a tremendous dumpster fire in Jacksonville. It's it's so beautiful. I mean, it was such a beautiful thing to have happened to a nicer person. Like, uh, of all people that deserve to have this kind of wreckage in his life right now around the holidays, it's Urban Meyer. Can you imagine when he goes and sits down to his with his family jobless, possibly not getting millions and millions of dollars, having cheated on his wife in front of everybody, being one of the reasons that a long list of reasons that he had a tumultuous season. And then his daughter, who has declared some kind of weird Al-Qaeda-esque war on the NFL and those of his enemies. The world. The world. (laughs) And and it's all going to come down on Christmas this week. If he even goes, he may just go to open up his steakhouse and have that one chef that comes in and cooks a meal just for him. Comes in on the holiday, drags him away from his family, and cooks a meal just for him. Isn't his daughter declaring a white chick just fatwa? Yeah, pretty <laughs> on much. The media in the NFL is just it's 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 just fucking perfect. This family sucks. This man sucks. I was going to write a whole eulogy about this man, but I'm not. I'm I'm actually going to leave it with this. This is to quote him directly from the interview. We won that sucker in London. It was like we won the Super Bowl for those guys, Meyer said. There you go, buddy. You got your Super Bowl. You went overseas to head to get your first win of the year, and it turned out to be only one of two. Your career in the NFL is over. It ended in spectacular fashion. You found a way to take the Adam Gase story and make it a hundred times better. Like Adam Gase is an asshole and probably a bad husband, basically because he just doesn't want to be around his family and his wife. But you, sir, you're a, you're a fucking disgrace. And now you're a permanent disgrace and a stain on the NFL with your record. And it's never going to go away. That Mike Vrabel handshake will be the gif and the meme that people use about urban Meyer for the rest of your life. And I can't think of it happen. It it couldn't happen to a nicer person. So uh, I wish your daughter the best of luck on her uh, white girl ambush on the media and the rest of the NFL. um, Because we get lawyers and lawsuits and discovery. And I I can't wait. I can't wait. It'll be great. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. 2022 shaping up to look awesome. Mike, thank you for coming on. Do do not make us wait another 13 weeks to talk to you again. Just open the Zoom chat and just get in here and run your mouth whenever you need to. Yeah, next time I'm just Kool-Aid manning in and just going to leave abruptly. Like mid-sentence, just turn off the Zoom.
<laughs> he just comes in for 90 seconds to just get real fucking furious about Ferkser and then he's just got like, oh, yeah, I can't even ask him a question. I'm just going to start um, the rant before you even let me in and I'm just going to be midstream as, as you let me into the Zoom. <laughs> oh, man. Um, again, come watch the game with us. Titans 49ers on Thursday, 6.30 p.m. Uh, on Charlotte Avenue. Again, I'm, we're going to retweet this out by the account. Um, and thank you for tuning in, as always. The award-winning... Football and other efforts podcast award winning. We love it. Um, rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends, neighbors, relatives that you listen to us, and get them to rate, review, and subscribe. And leave us a comment if you like the podcast or you don't. We yeah. uh, we love you, and happy holidays. We know we're coming up on Christmas and New Year's and all that kind of stuff. We'll have another podcast before New Year's, but happy holidays to you and yours. And as always, you've just been effed. A Broadway Sports Media Production.